when I left home, I still had this strong idea of what marriage should be like and, and I had a goal for, that I could try and aim towards uh, in terms of having a, a, a being married. I, I wanted to be married as, as soon as I, I could. I, I wanted to be married when I was 16, 17, 18. And I had a few problem relationships along the way. I um, spent a lot of my a lot of my life carrying a perception that when it comes to conflict in a relationship, that if the two people that you love fight, someone's going to leave. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. So we've created not only an avenue we can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guest, Julian Ari, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for being guest on the show. Thanks for having us, guys. Hey. You guys are coming to us remote from the land down under. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> if we could show you a kangaroo in the backyard, we would, but there aren't any right now. <laughs> what time is it? There is 5 o'clock here. P.M. P.M. That would it's make... uh, just coming up 10 past 8 a.m. on yeah. Sunday. Okay. So the past, yeah, right now. We're in the past. <laughs> right. We are in the past. A glimpse into the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, we're going to definitely get into your story. But before we do, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? What do you do for a living? And how long have you been together? I'll kick off. So my name's Julie, of course, and uh, I work full-time as a public servant in Australia in our Defence Department. I've been in that department for a good 18 years now. I thank my husband for that. As an ex-ADF Defence Force member, I was able to follow him around with his work, of course, but through that managed to stay as a public servant in every location we go to. So that's given me a really interesting and diverse career. In terms of us as a family, we've been uh, married for 20, coming up to 29 years in November this year. And we have three adult children, twin girls. They turned 21 this uh, July, in July. And our son is 22. Hi, everyone. My name's Ari. I'm 55. I currently work as uh, in the field of cybersecurity for the Australian Human Services Agency. I've been there for about three years. Prior to that, I was working for uh, Defence in the Army. Um, I was there for 13 years. And we have, yeah, we have uh, three children, uh, twin girls. They're 20, 
21 this year and the boy he's 22. He's just got his licence, so uh, we don't see a lot of him at the moment. He's he's either in transit between here and his girlfriend's place or at his girlfriend's place. He, he does come home for dinner, though. So <laughs> yeah. It's always fun when they get a girlfriend. <laughs> Can you guys tell yeah. us the story of how you met? I'll, I'll kick off. I think you've written a, a little bit about it. A little it. bit. You go ahead. Tell uh, your version of the story. <laughs> all right. So um, there was this conference uh, that was being arranged by a local church and I had a mate come over and he, he kept inviting me to this conference and I really didn't want to go. But he kept on uh, reminding me and then he ended up saying, look, I bought you a ticket and mm-hmm. so I just felt obliged to go along at that stage. So I went to the conference and I, I sat as far as the, to the back as I possibly could. So I was at the back row sitting there and throughout the conference, which lasted uh, a weekend, the speaker would, from time to time, interact with the audience and tell a joke. And I kept hearing this amazing laugh that came from the front somewhere, like right at the front. And because I was right at the back, I I, I couldn't um, see who, who it was. But this was just, just this amazing, really loud, unique, <laughs> and, but beautiful sounding laughter coming from the front. And my approach to relationships was I really wasn't interested in in developing a relationship with with a girl, and uh, this laughter was obviously coming from a a girl. So I just sat at the back and tried to appear as uninterested as possible. <laughs> it was very hard uh, because this laughter had prompted my my attention. Every time I heard this laugh, I would I just needed to see who it was, and so uh, it's a little bit frustrating. Anyway, um, uh, the final day of the, the conference, I was sitting at the back and uh, it was literally right at the end of the conference. Everyone was um, starting to part and, and say goodbye. And this old man was walking down the, the back row, shaking everybody's hand along the back row and, and uh, wishing them farewell. He came closer to me. He was working his, his way down. He was coming closer to me. I thought, he's going to shake my hand. I thought, okay, right, right there you go. So he, he came towards me, he, he got right in front of me, he reached out his big hand and so I went to shake his hand, so I grabbed his hand and then as I grabbed his hand, he just like turned around and said, and I'd like to introduce you to, and there was Julie standing right behind him and it was like, wow, this was the girl that I caught the, the back hair of, the side of her face from from the back of the, the conference hall I could see glimpses of it from time to time but again I as I didn't want to show that I was in her I didn't want to show that I'd, I'd actually um, noticed. noticed her yeah it was yeah it was just one of those moments where uh, when I finally saw her face to face it was uh, just amazing and from that moment off we um, we ended up sharing our details sharing our interests and, and meeting up again and not long after that, we were uh, engaged and, and married. I mean, I think it was within a very short time that I, I decided that this is the girl that I wanted to marry. What was that meeting, that first meeting like for you, Julie? I'd actually noticed Ari earlier in the weekend when I went into the kitchen to get something and I saw something, someone, a man standing at the sink and I had the denim jeans and the white shirt and the dark hair and the broad shoulders and I caught the silhouette sort of thing and very, very vividly, as you can tell, noticed him. 
subsequently became immediately speechless and turned around and walked out. And so that was that moment. And then as Ari just described the the introduction through a friend of mine that brought me to that conference and of, of course I was, you know, I realised, hey, this is the guy that I saw before, that's really cool. And um, we both were involved in youth ministry at the time so we had a very justifiable reason to exchange phone numbers. So I, I was definitely keen but what I didn't know was happening in the background behind the scenes was the place that Ari was coming from where he wasn't looking for a relationship or anything like that and yet he went home that day and, as he tells the story, informed his dad that he just met the woman he was going to marry. But to seal the deal, he just had a little conversation with God about it and said, if she's the one for me, I want her to ring me by 5 o'clock tomorrow. And I rang at one minute to 5 the next day. Wow. Mind you, when I did, when I did tell my dad that I just met the girl I was going to marry, I mean, he did have a bit of a chuckle on his face. So he didn't think you were being serious, or he thought it was well, fantastical, or maybe he was being maybe he was being more cynical than I don't know. But when I said, "Dad, I've just met the girl I'm going to marry," I can still remember the smile or the grin on his face right now. I'm not sure if it was uh, cynical. I'm not sure if it was like that, that good for you type of a grin. But yeah, I'll never forget it. Uh, it was, it's just one of those moments. I should find him up and ask him. <laughs> and you both knew really quick. Yeah. Well, we, we both knew, but so our, our meeting and then getting serious about our relationship happened very, very fast. So we were engaged two months later after we met. But from the time that we met on that weekend, during the course of the following week, we met up three times and the following weekend, so this is just one week time frame, he said to me, uh, we went to a concert with a group of people and he said, look, I'm, whenever I meet a girl, I'm not interested in building a relationship. And then he said, until I met you. Apart, apart from friendship. Apart from friendship, yeah. And then he said, until I met you, which was, you know, <laughs> but he said at following that, I'm looking long term here. So I knew 100% that he'd drawn that line in the sand. This wasn't a, you know, just a, a casual thing. He was looking for a life partner and so was I. And so we knew right at the start we were looking long-term. And what was it about the other person that you fell in love with? For me, lots of things, but Ari's nature, he's very, what attracted me to him was his incredible compassion and his heart and the way that he interacted with people. He had such a, if I could put it in a word, such a tenderness about the way he engaged with people. He was very caring, very considerate, very thoughtful. I was also, of course, very attracted to his passion for God because that was a place and, and still is a place that I was in at that time too. So our shared faith was a, and is an integral part of who we are when we met and he was bloody good looking as well. So, you know, it was a win-win as far as I was concerned. I was just impressed by how honest and sincere and like a real Julie was. She had this like this humble, open book persona, personality. When I spoke with her, it was like I was speaking with the real person. 
the person I was seeing was was beautiful, and you know, she's always reminded me of like a a, a very earthy woman, like a, a almost like a, a calamity Jane, like a, a calamity Jane type of you know, I am what I am, and the the I am that I saw, the person that I saw was was I could live with for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. and when I saw that. Why at that time were you not interested in relationships, Art? Yeah, I, I just experienced quite a few difficult, serious relationships. And I, I suppose I've lost trust in the whole idea and concept that you could have a successful long-term relationship. And how long were you guys married before you had children? Seven years. Married seven years before our first child came along. Was that intentional? Um, it was. Well. Yes and no. So we got to the five-year mark and from that point we started to try to have children. So, But God's timing was just phenomenal, always is phenomenal because at that time we had just started attending Bible college and so which was a three-year commitment. And as it happened, I fell pregnant in our last year of study. So when we finally graduated, I was very soon after that ready to give birth to our son. So it was all really good timing. That um, yeah, we really enjoyed that that t- period of time just to enjoy each other and and get a sense of the direction what we wanted to do and things like that. We just had a lot of fun, and we still had fun after our children came along. But yeah. It was like a seven-year honeymoon. How is the roles where you guys live? You know, like in here, my mom and Ray's mom, they were stay-at-home moms and the dads worked. And now today it's kind of all over the place of how people set their lives up. That's that's a really good question, I think. Uh, it's I left home uh, when I was about 15. Um, my parents divorced. And so, yeah, when I was 15, my dad invited me to, to leave home. Uh, a lot of it was due to my behaviour, so I ended up leaving home. I, I, but I still had a very strong sense of what family should be um, based on what the way my parents raised me. So even though my parents divorced, I still believed in, in the, the concept of marriage, long-term commitment, the values that under underpinned that within society at the time. Um, both my parents worked. They were always seemed to be in in financial duress, so there wasn't a lot of time for myself and my brothers because they were always focused on their jobs. Of course, there were some uh, personal issues between my parents as well. Uh, but again, uh, I just when I left home, I still had this strong idea of what marriage should be like, and and I had a goal for, that I could try and aim towards uh, in terms of having a uh, uh, being married. I, I wanted to be married as, as soon as I, I could. I, I wanted to be married when I was 16, 17, 18. And <laughs> I had a few issues. <laughs> I had a few problem relationships along the way. And for me, in terms of roles and how those roles inform relationships in my growing up, I too, like Ari, um, had a a broken home so my I was basically raised from the age of 10 by my father my mother had re- I was raised in New Zealand my mother um, came to Australia to live so for me that left quite a mark around 
and like Ari, my father ran a farm and so he was working all the time, early in the morning, late in the day, that kind of thing. Then I came, when I came to Australia to live with my mother for a while, similar scenario there, she was working a lot. At point in my life, I was, I think I was 16 years of age, so becoming increasingly independent myself. I can say that in terms of how those roles created a type of belief system in me at that young age, I um, spent a lot of my a lot of my life carrying a perception that when it comes to conflict in a relationship, that if the two people that you love fight, someone's going to leave. So at 10 years of age, I created that belief in me and carried that through well into my marriage. And it was through through my, I carried a fear of conflict in case it re- went really bad, in case my husband decided to leave. That, there's this, all this stuff going on in my head. And it was through Ari's patience with me and reinforcing and proving that that wouldn't happen that I learned how to find my voice in our relationship too. So. It was interesting reflecting back and unpacking that and understanding where it came from. So both of you, you know, it was not role modeled how to have a healthy relationship. You guys had to figure that out together and on your own. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Did you do anything intentional to learn how to do that? Did you read books or go to counseling or have any type of support or guidance? Uh, I think the church environment provided a degree of relationship counselling as well as role models and positive reinforcement. So that was a very good start for us. Those things didn't really deal with more of the, the deeper uh, personality problems that you will, that at least we've experienced anyway, that you discover or develop due to the circumstances in life. I found that my time in the military left me with some very difficult thought processes that I needed to work through that I'm still trying to, to sort out, but I'm, I'm mostly resolved from what I can see. And um, I think I'm learning that there's just, even though you know that you don't stop learning, you just don't stop learning about these things. Yeah? And there's always this hope of reaching a a point where you're, you're comfortable and it's like learning a point where you're comfortable in your relationship and the world around you and then you see something else that you're not comfortable with and <laughs> so you, you want to iron that wrinkle out as well. And for me, I, um, in terms of you know role modelling and support and things like that, there have been a couple of times when I have um, sought a counsellor and, and it wasn't so much that there was like a, particular crisis or things like that but I didn't feel comfortable talking about deeply personal things in our marriage with a friend I I felt that you know with a counsellor I can just totally talk what talk through whatever I need to talk through and I was really proud of myself for doing that because I just debunked the whole myth of you know yeah I only go to a counsellor if something's really 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 bad and again it just helped to bounce my thought processes and how I'm thinking things through and stuff like that. So it's it's been a constructive time and over the 29 years I've maybe done that three, possibly four times. But for me personally, I'm an, a voracious learner, so personal development, all that sort of thing. And so I find that if I'm struggling with a particular issue, 
I'll jump into YouTube and find some, you know, like a TED Talk or something like that, think it through and we'll have a conversation. And I also have found that the Word of God for me, when things have been particularly difficult, that relationship with my Creator has really brought amazing insight right in those moments when it just cuts through all the noise of what's going on in your head and gets into your heart. And so those have been the places where I've gone to God and asked for help and he's just delivered every single time and that's been a huge part of my learning and growing as well. What was it like to add three children in a very short period of time (laughs) to your family? Uh, Surprising. (laughs) I think that has having children has been the most challenging challenging experience of my existence I think it was such a beautiful place to be as a man being married with three gorgeous kids like healthy happy didn't want for anything and had no worries about them at all and they were just happy kids they didn't oh they niggled now and again but they were just happy kids and it was just such a wonderful experience I knew I was one of the luckiest people on earth to to have that but things change life changes and they grow up and they go through their struggles and and I never wanted them to leave I never wanted them to to grow up and that was one I just never wanted it to happen if they could if they could have stayed under the age of 10 or 12 for the rest of their life I would have been in paradise but they grow up and they have friends who I don't necessarily like or they start spending more and more time away from home or, or playing computers or things like that and it's that part where you, you have to let go of them. Mm. That, that transition. Was, and it, I saw my whole identity as, as being their dad and now they weren't really relying on me or needing me as much as they needed to, which was something that, you know, I had to address or accept accept yeah and so I became something else now I became whether it was just hey dad can I have this um or dad can you do that or um you know being the 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 lawnmower or the 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 taxi driver or the the home repair man or the whatever it was it was no longer that coming to me for cuddles it was coming to me always needing something needing something it's just the transition as, as they grew and the, the reshaping of the relationship. But I have to tell you the story of when we found out we were expecting the twins because after our son came along, who ended up being an emergency delivery, so it was a little bit traumatic, but because it took us so long to fall pregnant with him, we assumed it would take a long time to fall pregnant the second time. So... That didn't happen. We were wrong. And so he was born April and that November I fell pregnant with the twins. And I'll never forget telling Ari that news um, after my first checkup. So like it was yesterday, I was in the laundry putting washing on, as you do, a lot. And he came in and we started chatting and I said, um, so you know how we've been talking about maybe getting a bigger car? And he's going, yeah. And he's just leaning against the wall. I said, we're going to have to get a bigger car. And he said, 
why is that? And I said, because we're having twins. And he literally raised his hands to his face <laughs> like this and just went, no, and he slid down the wall till he was down on the floor with his face in his hands. And for a moment I panicked and thought he was, you know, really upset and disappointed, but he was just overwhelmed emotionally and filled with, you know, ecstatic joy and terror simultaneously. So, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. What were some of the challenges that you had having a single and then, and then twins? Do you know what? I think the biggest challenge was coming to terms with the reality of what that meant for us and really quickly adjusting and adapting to that through the um, pregnancy with the twins. The medical professionals kept telling me, you know, this is a high-risk pregnancy, all these different things could go wrong and just that messaging all the time was really creating in me a lot of anxiety. And I just reached a point where I just turned that off in that I said to myself, look, I'm just going to take things one day at a time. And that very much came my my mantra, even down to I'm just going to focus on the next hour because, you know, stuff everywhere and, and all that sort of thing and figuring it out on the fly. It was It was challenging, but looking back, we were so blessed that, you know, our kids were healthy and we had literally an army of support behind us. And I think the, the best thing that I did, to be honest, was two things. Number one, to just eliminate the noise of what might go wrong and just decide I'm going to do it one day at a time. That gave me a lot of peace and I'm able to focus where I needed to focus. And saying yes to help. You know, when people say, can we help? Say yes. You don't get a medal for, you know, trying to do it all yourself. So people would show up, I'd point to the vacuum cleaner and all the things that need to be done, hand the kids over, that kind of thing. So for me, the biggest challenge was much more practical. Like now, I was involved with youth counselling and and youth ministries and it's something that was a lot of it was voluntary and it didn't put food on the table. And now I was going to be responsible for three young lives and I needed to start to think a little bit more practical. So I was, my, my, my thoughts were how do I provide now for an in, increased group of people? How do I provide mm-hmm. for their futures? And that's, that's where my headspace was. So, you know, for the two of you, an intact family was not really role modeled. And, mm-hmm. you know, being there for your kids, that was also something that was not role modeled as well. And what we know about couples who, you know, start to have kids, especially, you know, kids, a lot of kids within a small amount of time, there's a, a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure, yeah. right? And conflict yeah. usually arrive, you know, rises. And so how did you guys learn how to deal with conflict and, and arguing together? Well, it was a partnership. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the first arguments that we, we ever had uh, resulted in some door slamming. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and uh, I think I, I took the lead one day and I just basically made it very clear that I wasn't going to be interested in door slamming for the rest of my life. Something like he said, I will not have that kind of behaviour in my house. Something like that. He really just set that 
that boundary very clearly and he said it in a way that was firm and and with a tone that made me go, oh, okay. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I did say, look, I wanted to live in a house of peace. Mm. I wanted my house to always try and lean towards peace rather than uh, antagonism or bitterness or carrying hurt. So, and that's that is, I think that was something that stayed with us from the start all the way through, even the most worst arguments. Um, I think a worst argument for us is how long people don't talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. So the peace is sort of like. <laughs> It's not really peace if you're having an argument with someone. And not but, talking. <laughs> but if you're not talking with someone, well, then that's a peaceable way of going about it as opposed to shouting and um, yeah. throwing things or whatever. And I think also, too, we literally did our best to set some boundaries in, our, in how we do fight and argue, so to speak, in terms of we both grew up with in an atmosphere of, you know, conflict and raised voices and things like that and we didn't want that for our kids. And so we worked really hard to to use our words to communicate versus just shooting off at the mouth, so to speak, and mm. regretting it afterwards. And, you know, because we both have memories still very clear of what that environment causes a child to feel and we didn't want to put that on our children and hey we're, we're not perfect we weren't always able to succeed that but a high percentage of the time we worked on conversations if things when things got really intense we had those hard conversations away from the kids and yes yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. it went over two or three days but we we persevered and we expressed what we needed to express and sorted it out mm-hmm. and that's the model we've tried to follow I would rather not have an argument than have an argument. I would rather not confront something rather than confront something. That's just the way I am, you know, especially with Julie. But it may, and that makes it, I think, makes it difficult to um, deal with those those arguments that don't come neatly out of the box. And I think. Frequent arguing gives you the the ability to practice resolution if it's done properly, and frequent withholding from an argument doesn't get you to mm. to that point where you're you're pushed or challenged to to address things that that are sometimes difficult to address. So what we've yeah. noticed, we've been together twenty three years, and we've noticed this developmental pattern a relationship takes, especially around how close you get or how much distance there is. Obviously, when your kids are little, it's very logistical. You're doing so many things that it's hard to really feed the relationship. And then, and and I think we develop as, as people, like our, you know, 30-year-old brain is very different than our 50-year-old brain. And that conflict that you guys are talking about, at least for us, that is the thing that, that drives our, our connection and our security when we get through those conflicts in the relationship yeah. and allows us to be closer. Can you guys share about that long journey for you and where how things were in the beginning and in any of the stages you noticed along the way? One of the words you just used then, Jean, is is our core, which is that word connection. The connection that we have now at this point in our marriage, I think is far deeper and richer than what it was earlier on in the marriage. 
and I think that that connection that we have of really understanding each other and knowing where each other are at comes predominantly through trial and error over the different stages of our marriage and our relationship and how we how we interact with each other it's it's like something that just grows over time and just changes and and it shapes itself over time and trust as well the trust creating that space in in the early stages years of our marriage um, we were learning about what that feels like and having those hard conversations and what we have now in those spaces is the confidence and the trust that I can share anything with Ari and he can share that with me and we'll be okay through that no matter what the content is because we keep consistently affirming one another in that way and so we're able to literally, you know, we don't argue that lot because we we focus on that connection and talking and sharing and all that sort of thing. And, and you know, with, with three kids underfoot and all that sort of thing and things were I wouldn't use the word volatile, but pretty chaotic in terms of day-to-day management of the house and fatigue and all those sorts of things. And so, again, it comes back to some boundaries and parameters. We try not to take things out on each other when we're, you know, really tired and all that sort of stuff and hold each other to account too. So I'm not sure if that answered your question, but that's that piece around connection and trust has been what's evolved through the years, yeah. So there has been a transition and it hasn't always felt comfortable or been easy. So when we first started the first seven years, say, or ten years, where we were then in life and as people and as a couple and where we are now, most of that has remained the same. Most of that has remained the same. The core of who we are, of what brought us together, has remained the same. But there has been a transition. I haven't thought about it because no one's ever asked me. (laughs) Um, So to to put it into some type of what does it mean, Um, what is it, we've been challenged by life to uh, remain united regardless of the circumstances that we face regardless of the challenges or the things that we have or we don't have. And it's a commitment to each other to see the good in each other and to see the better in each other and to extend that and develop that bond of human love between with another person. That It's that desire that has helped us to transition. It's not something that's really built on a role model. At the end of the day, it's not something that's really built on how we've been counselled. It's just that desire to to make this what it can be, to make it healthy and to make it wholesome and to always not give up hope of it being even better mm. one day. So that's the best way I could sum it up. Mm. Which means that that takes a lot of intentional things, a lot of intention is behind that. It means that we don't, we're careful to not take for granted who we are in our relationship and what we have. And, and so, yeah, we're just really intentional about nurturing that and strengthening that. I'll, um, there's things I 
I still try, even though I don't mean to do it, but looking back, because you're asking about relationship concerns and that is, this, I still try and get Julie to, to be and do what I want her to do, even though uh, it's not bad, like things that I'm comfortable with that I would like her to do. And I'm not sure if that's the same with Julie, but that's like if I want her to make me breakfast in the morning, every morning, whatever. I'm not saying that's the case, but just say. It's not the case. <laughs> just, just say or having the house clean, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, Sometimes that's the case. <laughs> um, it's something that I guide and I, I literally role model that myself. You know, if I want Julie to keep a clean house, I'll keep the, the house clean and that's my way of showing her this is the way I want to live or that the behaviour or this is mm. the, yeah, the way I like. that's a good point. We, we role model to each other what we want in our relationship. But you don't always get what you want. <laughs> <laughs> and it's learning to live with that and communicate that. I mean, like, and people will change their communication styles over time as well. So, yeah, You know, that reminds me of what something that Gandhi said. He said that be the change that you want to see in the world. And we often tell our couples, be the change that you want to see in your relationship. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We went through a pretty intense time. I don't know if we're done with our intense time around hormonal changes, right? So when I hit about 49, it seemed like an intensity really turned on in terms of my sensitivity and my emotions and the way I was wanting to actually shift in how I was living my life. And I think you've gone through a few periods as well as in aging to, it's it's sort of like a, a a transitional process is just kind of put on you. It's not something you seek. It's just there. Have yeah. you guys been affected by that at all? I'd have to say, Jean, no, not 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 yet. N- not if you count buying a new motorbike as part of that process, uh, which we're in the we're in the middle of. So, if if that's our our transition then um, we're really blessed because it's a good one and we're looking forward to it in terms of navigating the type of experience you've just explained that hasn't happened to us in that way but we have had some serious whether it was hormonal or or due to external causes we have had serious personal issues to deal with Mm. maybe hormones were part of it but when i when i left the military i was in a very Awkward, awkward state between living in a world for, in an environment of threat and then trying to live in a, a society where those I could see those same threats emanating everywhere. And so for me, it was more of a mental health journey mm. than hormonal. And it was extremely difficult, mm. extremely difficult for me. It's something I've never experienced before. I, I, I would lie in bed as soon as I would wake up my heart would just be pounding out of my chest for no reason. And I would be literally scared to get out of bed. And having to be a father and a husband in that, at the same time as living in in fear, is one of the most horrible. It has been, it was the worst six years of my life, worst time ever, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Mm. 
that it took years for me to be able to experience a day without experiencing fear. I used to live in the worst case. It was just a moment to moment. It was I, I really didn't know what was going to happen to me based on the, the next breath. All I had was the next breath. And I thought to myself, if I can keep breathing one more time, I'll be okay. And it was just that constant uh, struggle against fear and anxiety. And that was difficult on Julie. It was difficult on the children. It was difficult on me to keep it all together as well. What were some things that were helpful for you during that time that Julie might have done? Definitely listening. Definitely. I needed her to reflect reality to me. Like, this is what I'm thinking. Is This is my conclusion. What what do you think about my conclusion? Is it is it rational? Is it logical? Or am I just flipping out here? And the most difficult time is when my reality didn't match the reality that Julie had. Whether which one of us was right or wrong at the time, it still was one of those um, interesting areas that I had to navigate. But yeah, definitely being that person who I could rely and confide in without judge, judging me. Because um, there's a lot of things that I had to and be honest with Julie about, things that I couldn't tell anybody else. And I, I owed it to her for me to be honest, to share my experience with her as well. And at the same time, she had to be strong enough to be able to support me and support the things that I was, not support the things I was telling her, but deal, deal with that and carry that and just being aware of those things to be able to, um, to, to shoulder the burden of being a listener. Uh, it's not an easy thing. That literally took years to, to transition through that. I, I think this is a, a very important piece here that there isn't enough attention paid to it. You yeah. know, we, we've done several episodes with combat veterans, and they talk about that transition back to civilian life and how you know their experiences, the things that they saw and did, changed their perspective on everything for yeah. good. And so you know, it, it affects their relationships, you know, especially with a, yep. with a partner, you know, a committed partner. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that really is not attended to enough. And I think yeah. that there is a lot of attention being paid to PTSD now, but how PTSD is affecting a couple and the relationship and the family as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's very extensive. Yeah. And the, the tools that are needed to navigate through that are, are critical. And it's one of those things that, you know, sure, there's lots of, you know, self-help things and books and guides and, and stuff out there. But when you're in that moment scrambling to know how to process what you're in the middle of, and not getting lost in this feeling of overwhelm, feeling overwhelmed with it, that's, that's, that's the challenge and that's what we worked through. So my assessment of how we've changed over the past, the, the latter stages of my life, something I've learned about Julie is she is very, very strong. Hmm. She's a very strong woman. She comes across as being 
uh, a pleaser and, and wanting people to be comfortable and things like that. But if she needs to be, she will carry the load and carry the, carry the heaviest part of the load as well. And that is just full credit to her. The things that I've I've had to allow her to carry on my behalf is just it's just amazing. You know, that's exactly kind of what I was talking about. And you know, our belief is that the person who can help us heal the most is our partner. They're also yeah. the person who can hurt us the most. And so yeah. <laughs> that's what we teach couples in the work that we do. And, you know, I think Ari, you and I share more of a similar story in terms of what we needed to heal and share with another human being that, you know, we had to do in secret before the wounds were secret before. And, you know, I would say the same thing that you were really able to manage me during, you know, when that stuff comes out, it doesn't come out pretty. Right. And, and I think that that is the beauty of being in such a long-term relationship that you can really get to that depth and have a safe enough environment and connection that you can trust someone like that. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And while you were talking, Gina, I, I feel like I've got a, a better just articulation of, of that transition. So, for example, earlier in the day, if he were to share, you know, or just in our interaction be a particular way, the way that I would internalize it would be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's feeling that way and why is he doing it and da-da-da and this all this, you know, taking it personally versus to where I am now. I'm hearing something but what I'm asking myself is, gee, that's interesting. What's going on behind that to cause that particular expression or conversation or behaviour or whatever? And it, it, it turns into a curiosity. I don't take it personally that it's an attack against me because I trust him enough that I know it's not if that makes sense whereas earlier in the day I would have been like oh my gosh and just freaking freaking out about it so yeah Yeah, we call that an iceberg so you know the way our brains are designed like 85% of our brains are subconscious they're automatic and and that's that part of our brain never degrades it never forgets you know it just sort of stays there and then the 15% you know, that's happening now that we're really conscious of, you know, so something happens in the, in the now, but it brings up a hundred percent of that emotion. Yeah. And so, yeah, this, that's, you guys are totally describing the melting of the iceberg and, and how a couple can heal by sharing like that. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. One thing that we're seeing is that, you know, at least here in the United States, a lot of couples aren't getting that opportunity to go to that depth of understanding in a relationship. I mean, our divorce rate here is 48%. And mm. so, you know, almost half, you know, people are starting over. And so when you start over in a relationship, you you don't get to those later stages, you know, and leaning into the pain and leaning into the emotional struggle because that's really where you learn, right? Yeah. That's where you learn the depth of your partner and they learn the depth of you. And, you know, you get to that, that higher stages, higher levels in a relationship. I don't know if it's the same in, you know, in Australian culture as far as divorce and, you know, Yeah, it's not pretty. It's no. very similar. I think it's around 50, 52%. Hmm. But that has been decreasing over, over the past decade. It's, it's, it's just one of the, you got to have that willingness to go into those places in the conversations and, 
And, and the, the thing is, Jean and Ray, is that nobody teaches us how to do that. So you have to be so on purpose in your relationship to pursue an understanding in that and be willing to learn the tools to help achieve that and experiment and just work through it and figure it out. That's really important so for us. What I've seen is that the the whole idea of family has been reinvented quite a few times over the past 20 years. In fact, the whole idea of relationships have, have changed considerably over the past 30 years. The traditional ideas of, uh, of family uh, and the roles that, that uh, family played has really made a huge impact on society. Before we had families that could trace their lineage back for hundreds of years and relationships and responsibilities and roles uh, didn't change during that period of time, whether it was profession or domestic, whether the roles were domestic, those types of that framework um, isn't anywhere near prevalent as what it used to be. Mm. And the supports, the supports that that used to provide uh, is no longer there and as a result people are more lonely than ever they're less connected than ever they're less supported than ever before even though we have more support services now than i think mm-hmm. we've ever had in the history of humanity it's that organic that organic relationship that is really um that interpersonal relationship that is is not either to the same degree or in quality or volume today than it used to be. My mates are getting married and they don't have that support. I just I just wonder. They are and I'm not saying they're doomed to failure, I'm not at all. But the challenges that they're gonna face and that they're going to have to overcome well, don't have the benefit of of that uh, network. That network the, the support structures that uh, traditional families used to provide. Community. Um, and I find yeah, community. I just wonder how that's going to look. Uh, Facebook and Twitter won't do it for you. What you guys so, are describing is exactly why we do this podcast. Yeah. So people okay. can learn it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I just wonder how they're going to overcome the challenges and the hurdles will be there, absolutely. Hollywood won't teach them. Um, <laughs> teach them know. all the wrong things. Yeah. <laughs> We'll have to come there so, to a weekend. <laughs> I, I'm just amazed at how well they do do, given given the circumstances. So I'm fortunate enough to have worked with some really good people. They're from a wide variety of backgrounds. They're young, like 20, 30 years younger than me, so I feel I'm with the young crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, yeah, they're starting off on their own. Uh, one guy has twin girls. They're four years of age. Uh, another guy, he's... He's already got one one son, uh, and they're having another. They're having another child. They're having a daughter now. So, so they're very young, and we don't tend to talk a lot about family. We don't tend to talk about what's happening in our personal lives. We spend a lot of time either at work or socialising down the pub, and we don't talk about problems, the hard stuff. Yeah, we don't. It just doesn't come up. 
we talk about work. We talk about we don't talk about politics anymore. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> we we don't talk about sport because there is none because of isolation. But we do talk about work. So I wonder. I mean, what's happening in our private lives? Well, how do we? It's just like we're becoming more and more. I don't know. Isolated. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just one of yeah. the, the. Yeah. But that desire is still there and and people will still need support in that area. You're right that the family structure has been redefined. In the United States, the leading family structure is the blended family. And so there is no actual rule book, you know, or standard on how to have a healthy blended family. And so everyone and, you know, the dismantling of the community has affected it as well. We're seeing a lot of people in the millennial generation not getting married because they don't want to repeat the mistakes of the prior generation and and have and get a divorce and so there's a lot yeah. more cohabitation that is that is occurring but that isolation is is absolutely happening you know yeah. and you know people are finding themselves delving into social media but it is a kind of a a, a shield or a mask from reality yeah. So there isn't an, any depth in connection, you know, with other human beings. Yeah. And how to build that, how to foster that, how to create that connection and add to it. So where, where do you see the future, at least in, in, West, in, the, in the West, in terms of family, family structure and, and community? How do you see that changing in the next five to ten years? Well, I, I think that this whole isolation that has happened because of the virus has given us all a, a opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. It has given us an opportunity to really look at what is truly important in our lives, you know, and that is family and that is connection, that is relationships. And because we've been forced to be disconnected, it has really put a spotlight on on needing to enrich those relationships that we have in our lives. Yeah. Right. And so there is an opportunity. I don't know if we will all take it, but it is there for, for all of us. Yeah. You know, we're noticing too, our son is 21 and he has a strong desire to be in a committed relationship. And he is currently in a really wonderful relationship, but he had to like, it, he was seemed kind of odd because he really wasn't the kind of guy that was going on social media or dating through apps or things like that. And they met in person and she's a wonderful person. And I think, I think that generation is going to be the one that starts to push away from the virtual stuff and start yeah. connecting more. At least I hope so. Yeah, I had a sense about that as well, that we're going to go full circle here. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So last question. What is it what? that your partner does that you know they love you? I thought you might ask that question. <laughs> I'll pick off while Ari thinks that through. The stuff that I see every single day, the small things that he does that shows me that he loves me. I pull up in the driveway with a car full of groceries and it's raining. He comes out with an umbrella, holds the umbrella over my head while I'm hopping out of the car sends me inside and he brings it all in. You know, that says 
you know, I love you, I care about you. It's those small gestures that just mean the world to me. And I have, I keep, I often, I have a collection of mementos and things like that. You know, when, when he was out in the army and out in the bush training, he had a moment where he had some time to himself and leaning against a tree and the bark on the tree was very, very thin like paper. So he peeled some off and wrote a little poem to me, put it in an envelope and sent it and I still have it. It's almost translucent because it's aged but, you know, that is just so beautiful. And when times just recently when I had a really hard day at work and I was upset about a situation and he knew that I was upset and he just gave me his full attention and it's so powerful when you experience what it's like to be deeply listened to and heard and he didn't jump into well let me fix that for you I suggest you do he just listened and later that day came home with a beautiful little pot with some flowers in it to brighten my day it's the thoughtfulness regularly putting me first to himself it's that just means the world to me so I could go on but we don't have the amount of time that I would fill so I try and be the strong person in this relationship (laughs) try Julie shows that she loves me because she's able to to carry me when I'm weak and she does it out of love she honors me Uh, She doesn't put me to shame and she respects me. That is so beautiful, guys. (laughs) It's really wonderful hearing this. Thank you. It is really wonderful to meet you both. Julie and Ari, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. This has been wonderful for us and for our listeners as well. You are welcome. You're welcome, guys. All the best with the work that you're doing. Yeah. You know, human beings have been sharing stories since the beginning of time to bond, to heal, and to grow. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. We want to wholeheartedly thank you all for listening and joining us on Couple Synergy today. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couple's Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. <laughs>